I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Darren Johnston's pandemic routine included lots of practicing the trumpet and composing. As things opened up, he recorded three sessions of his music with different groups in New York and Chicago. The first of these albums, Life in Time, has now been released and will be showcased in Madison with its quartet of Chicago heavies. Well, Darren Johnston, uh, welcome to the Showbiz Roundup. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's jump right into the new record, Life in Time. Um, You recorded six of your tunes and four by Jeff Bradfield. The band sounds amazing. It's uh, Jeff Bradfield on saxophone, Clark Summers on bass, and Dana Hall on drums. Um, This is meant as a high compliment, um, but the album really has such a classic sound to me. Two horns, bass, and drums. I don't want to say that it's coming out directly from a specific bag necessarily, like Ornette or whatever, but can you talk about whether you see this as an extension of a particular school of playing? Um, not, not especially. It's funny because uh, I was talking to some friends that feel like we get uh, stuck in the same problem, the same quagmire, if you will, in that uh, in my mind, this is like very much a straight ahead jazz record. I made a jazz record. And I know we're not necessarily referencing bebop language or anything the whole time. And the, it's original songs, so it's, it gets a little quirky. But in my head, this is a jazz record. And I think possibly because of the label it's on, but people that have been reviewing it are paying it as if it's very avant-garde. Um, meanwhile, uh, friends and and people involved with more avant-garde music or free jazz or free improvised music uh see it as just just a jazz record why would he make just a jazz record like Clifford johnson is totally sold out you know because almost big money in jazz right so uh i don't know i i just it's just a bunch of songs that i wrote during the shutdown uh at one point uh i couldn't play my horn at the beginning of the shutdown i was like okay i'm just gonna practice whatever i want all day every day and I had a bit of a split on my lip that wouldn't heal. And I ended up pivoting to writing tunes all day, every day. And I wrote about something like 40 tunes. And uh, when the smoke cleared and we were able to go out and do things again, I recorded three records in four and a half weeks. And this was the first one. Wow. I was in Cincinnati at my in-laws, got to Chicago and played with those guys. And then I went to New York and played with uh, two other groups that I had sort of leads into my next question because you're, you're living in Brooklyn. The record was made in Chicago. Um, right. And I was going to ask, you know, how you ended up in Chicago to do this. Was it a situation where you hired Sidemen to come in and record? Um, and then the session itself, 10 tunes recorded in a one-day session, seems like a rather demanding schedule, especially coming off of a chops injury. I was back on my horn for a couple months by the time that happened. Um, my history with Chicago is, is long, actually. Um, I, I implied I like to play more free music. Chicago is a super rich scene for that. Uh, I lived 21 years in San Francisco, and when a dear friend of mine moved to Chicago in about 2008, I started going to visit, and uh, people on that scene were super welcoming, and uh, I did a lot of playing and recording uh, with people like Tim Daisy, uh, Dave Rempis, um, yeah, the, that, that school of people, the electric arts people, you know, and, uh, 
in more recent years, the last four or five years, I started playing with Jeff and Dana and Clark. And my original idea was that it was going to be a collective and we all bring in tunes for it. And uh, Jeff didn't really bring in. I mean, Jeff was like the only one who brought in other tunes. So it became sort of a vehicle for his and my writing more. Although I would still invite those guys to bring in tunes if they wanted to. So it's sort of a collective, but I became band leader. I was the one who wanted to make this happen. Uh, we did it at a place called, uh, uh, I have to look at this. Do you remember the name of the place? Pro Audio, is that it? Um, it's a, a fellow that does a concert series and records it. And so we went in and just did the concert without uh, an audience because it was still early opening days, you know. And uh, But to your, to your question, I guess it, it was a little stressful. Um, I had my chops back, but one thing that was rusty was playing with musicians mm-hmm. you'd all like you may have noticed a lot of solo records coming out these days you know for sure um it was my first time playing with other humans in months and months and months uh luckily they're great players all i have to do is shut up for a second it'll sound <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh yeah uh, it was it was kind of a stressful session that as it progressed became more and more fun mm-hmm. I was, yeah that makes more sense to me now that you fill in the details a little bit. Cause I was thinking like, you know, a 10 tune session in a single day, you do like multiple takes of the same tune, but it sounds like it was just a performance. So like one take per tune or did you guys do multiple takes? Yeah. The, the engineer can like, that's kind of his vision is like one take each and then what happened happened. But because it wasn't a concert, we were able to do, um, you know, a bunch of extra takes and we did get together the next day, but we used everything from day one. So it was oh. like a one day version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you felt like you really were able to capture, you know, the composer's intent, so to speak, with with all with all of that. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I like the fact that it's got some it's got a couple bumps and bruises. It's got some warts. It's not it's not perfect and polished. And I, I dig that. Actually, it sounds like a jazz record, you know, it's something that lacking sometimes today where people can overdub and fix and blah, blah, blah. Like there's sort of a sanitized version of jazz records over the last bunch of years. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to tell, right? Yeah. 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 You can punch in anywhere and, but it's, I think it's there. Like, I I think you, it's like an intangible that, that we can be aware of in the back of our minds. Hearing hearing someone go, it's like, Oh yeah, that's a real, like that's a real time thing that's going on right now. You know? Right. Yeah. You mentioned your your time in the Bay Area. You studied composition at Mills College. The composition program there is legendary, of course. Tell us about that experience. Was Pauline Oliveira still there at the time? She was not. She was teaching a deep listening class over uh, Zoom, or I guess a precursor to Zoom, whatever it was. And as much admiration as I have for her, like taking a class like that didn't really make much sense to me, you know. Um, So I I didn't study with her. Uh, it started, uh, when randomly, uh, I got a, someone recommended me to Fred Frith and I went and played a really hard piece of his for a sort of retrospective concert. And here's this packed house of people listening to deeply challenging and beautiful music. And, uh, I thought Fred was brilliant. I, I wasn't that hit to his work before that. And I was like, man, like, uh, I was kind of in a quagmire of just gigging musician, like playing whatever. And I was like, I re- I could really get something out of studying here. So I applied and got a bit of a scholarship and 
it was uh it was a challenging and highly rewarding couple of years uh, i got a lot of fred and his uh his uh, ensemble class it was like large ensemble free improvisation uh just really good for getting people to open their ears and their imaginations uh and their audio memory i started working on my audio memory in a deeper way um and another class that was super helpful to me was uh, uh dave bernstein he taught a tonal theory and analysis and it was uh analyzing brahms and stuff like this using schoenberg's system of uh analyzing which basically is like everything comes from the one seed of an idea the grungerstalt is what he called it and uh so it's like you know da -da -da -da, da -da -da -da, you know that's a simple version of it and then like taking that single idea and and running it through different regions of harmony and and developing it that that class had a huge impact on me in, in terms of as an improviser as well as a composer like oh yeah like limit your ideas and develop your ideas and things don't necessarily modulate according to Schoenberg they go to a different region of a key and then you can get very far away and work your way back uh, I also took a non-tonal theory analysis class with him which I, actually I found less rewarding I, I I'd like to deal with tonality you know so yeah uh, it kind of like blew some some doors open for me that class. Uh, also, another highlight, sorry, is uh, the great French bass player. Um... Ah, <laughs> all right. Uh, what's her name? Can you can you think of a great female bass player? Worked with Cage. Did a great duo record with Steve Lacey. I'm forgetting her name. It's so shameful. Beautiful sound. She she taught an improv class that was that was really uh, pretty great I thought as well. well it'll come in my head before this hour is over. <laughs> so after twenty one years in the Bay Area, you moved to Brooklyn I think in uh, twenty eighteen. Um, yeah. What precipitated that move? And and then also I mean it looks like now that you're in Brooklyn, you've been generating some playing opportunities with folks like Michael Formanek and Chess Smith and others. And so who are, who are you working with in New York and how's that going? Uh, it's going great. Thank you. Um, Chess and I go back to the Bay Area days. He used to live in the Bay Area. Right. Scene. That makes sense. We've been together for a lot of years. Uh, and Michael has ties to the Bay Area as well. Um, although that's not how I know him. Um, yeah. What, what what brought it about? Uh, my, my wife is a, a choreographer. And she got the job as artistic director at Sacramento Ballet. And uh, so originally the plan was like, okay, I'll get an apartment somewhere in the Bay and, and go back and forth. Cause there's not, I can't do what I do in Sacramento full time. You mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And uh, looking around at rents, they were so crazy. And I found out there was cheaper rent in New York and she was, completely overworked trying to you know take the reins with this company so i just i just went for it went to new york thinking it'd be like for a couple of years you know and uh it's worked out now she's back in san francisco we're trying to i'm trying to figure out what i'm doing you know like we're both, when things started to open up basically it was like she was working more there i had more work opportunities in new york we're just chasing the work right now you know um one of the things that was super helpful when I got there was that I have a history of playing Balkan music. 
And uh, so there, you may know Slavic Soul Party. Definitely, yeah. Uh, great band. It's been doing it for 20 years now. Um, so the first thing I did was learn their book and became the sub. Uh, so that's that threw me a bunch of work and that led to other work and that kind of got me working. Um, and yeah, just the scene is so inspiring and people are so welcoming there. I know like that's not the reputation of New York, mm -hmm. but it's the reality of New York. I, I think it's because there's so many great musicians. It doesn't matter who you are. There's someone that will be deeper or pl play higher notes or whatever. Like there's always someone that's like a little bit more. And so everyone's really just sort of humble and welcoming whereas in smaller towns i find people are a little bit like this is our thing no outsiders you know and people get really territorial that that would be a ridiculous behavior in new york uh -huh. so I, I find it more welcoming there than any scene i've been a part of before yeah. and i do feel like i found my tribe a little bit there too in that like uh in the bay area scene which is healthy beautiful scene great players there's a lot of, like you have to pick sides though. Mm. So like I'll go and I'll like hang out with the straight ahead people and then I'll go and play with the free improvised people and never shall they meet. And in New York, there's a large community of people that, you know, like you go to do a session during the day and we'll start off with like Oscar Pettiford tunes and then play each other's originals that cover a huge range of different aesthetics. And then we'll maybe end with some free improvising and everyone's super comfortable in every context. Like people know their history, they can deal with tonality, they can also, are, they're not, not afraid of total freedom and can make something happen like that. It's a, like a new level of evolution, I think, musically happening right now. We don't have to pick sides. Yeah. Things aren't binary. You know? We got to figure that out as a species. Yeah. You know, it's like there's room for all kinds of approaches to creativity and, and beauty. You know? That's great. Yeah. I'm just curious, you have an upcoming duo show at the Downtown Music Gallery with Chess Smith. Yeah. Um, I've been to the Downtown Music Gallery, Bruce Galanter's shop, um, and I'm, maybe I'm thinking of their former location, but it's not at all a large space. I'm just curious, like, what are those shows like? Have you done those before? Yeah, I've done a bunch of those. Um, they're great. I mean, people come out. Um, Bruce is obviously a sweetheart and a wonderful cat. Um, the room sounds pretty good. It's, it's tight quarters. It's very informal. Um, I'm in danger of spending all my money on CDs while I'm there. <laughs> no browsing from the bandstand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I oh, know you get to the bandstand, you're just surrounded by, oh man, like, a lot of my friends, but oh, I haven't heard this one, you know. So that that is a danger. But yeah, it's it's kind of like a nice community center. Um, another series that I like to play at a lot is the uh, uh, Bushwick Public House. Are you aware of that series? No. It's uh, this guy Stephen Gauchi, the tenor player. Um, every Monday for years now, I believe it's, uh, five sets of music, uh, in the basement of this, this dingy basement, but it's like everyone, like everyone from like students to seasoned big name people will come and play. Um, uh, it's a great hang. I, I really enjoy doing that and, or, or just going if I'm not working, you know? Very cool. Yeah. There's lots of little things like that going on in New York. It's nice to see it all happening again, too. Mm -hmm. So you're on the road promoting the new record. Um, what else are you working on these days? Uh, well, I, I mentioned I had those two other in the can. Um, one is uh, Quintet uh, with uh, Chess, Sean Connolly, uh, Jacob Sachs, and Dana Stevens, great uh, saxophonist. Mm -hmm. 
I'm really happy with that recording and I, I want to get it out there. And the other is a trio with uh, pianist Carmen Staff and Michael Formanak. And I'm really happy with that one too. Uh, I just got to figure out how to get it out in the world in a way that is effective, you know, and can get to people's ear holes, you know. So I'm, I'm working on that. Uh, I'm back to writing a lot and uh, just trying to figure out how to make a living too. You know, I, I had some side hustles that have dried up. Uh, I've been doing like straight up wedding gigs and things like that, which is uh, not what I want to do aesthetically, but it's been good to work on that side of my playing. It's basically like playing lead trumpet, which, uh, you know, is not my main thing. I'm an improviser. So it's been good, like work on my accuracy and my upper register and stuff like that. It's not what I want to do with my life, but, you know, it's what I'm doing right now. A lot of that. Keeps your chops together. Keeps the lights on. Keeps my chops together. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah and it's, you know, I'm open to suggestions, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, another thing I'm working on is a group with all fellow Canadians, uh, great composer and instrumentalist Anna Weber. Uh, and then... Uh, up in Toronto, Nick Fraser is a drummer, and uh, one of my best buddies in New York, uh, Michael Bates, great bass player. And uh, we just applied for a Canada Council grant. It's a project that we had going before the shutdown, and it, we had a tour, it all got canceled, everything got canceled. So we just did a thing in Brooklyn uh, a month and a half ago, got a good enough of a recording to make a good demo that we uh, used for the grant, and hopefully we'll be touring in uh, next winter. And recording a record next winter. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So on this podcast, we've learned a lot about folks coming from overseas and the difficulties they have, like with immigration and, and uh, you know, work visas and stuff like that. I, I take it you are a Canadian citizen or do you have dual citizenship? Or? I have dual citizenship. Dual, yeah. okay. Uh, it, through a marriage in my early 20s, uh, I got my green card and then uh, was inspired because I, I do have political convictions. So I, I got, uh, I became a citizen in time to vote for uh, Obama in 2008. It was my first election to vote in. Um, I th yeah, I think for Nick coming down from Toronto, he has to do a bunch of like visa, he has to get visas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Easier for Canadians going to the US than it is for people from other countries. But yeah, like it can be tricky. I, I remember a uh, great Bulgarian singer, Esma. Um, I was I, on, I got called for the gig and I was really excited. It's like, you know, Balkan, Balkan music. And uh, about a week before the gig, they pulled her, her uh, visa and she wasn't, she wasn't able to come with the tour to happen, like stuff like that, you know? So disappointing. It really is. And it's, it's stupid, but yeah. Uh, but luckily, I, I don't have to worry about that. I just use whichever passport I need to, to get into the country, you know. Well, Darren Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. A pleasure having you on the show. Absolutely a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope to see you at the gig. See you at the gig, definitely. All right. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, 
you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletakebuzz.com. Catch you later.